Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. And I'm Alex Allingsworth. Welcome to The Hidden Curriculum. A podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. Hey, everybody. I hope everyone has had a good week so far. Uh, Welcome to another episode. And to begin, I have to ask Sebastian and our guest today, what is your current phone wallpaper? My current phone wallpaper is... So I actually, I do spend time selecting it, but right now I'm in like transition mode. So I don't know if you can see it, but it's just like... No, you're like auto zoom background makes it your auto zoom background. It's like regular, you know, uh, stock stock life life thing from the iphone so nothing interesting sorry okay all right obey oh i am super boring too i like (laughs) i think i have the default from when i got the phone or geometric it's very gray and very um beige beige and gray gray. what about you alex what's yours so my my current background is a picture of uh, my wife and daughter like looking at some lighthouse but it, it was the first time that i've used background of like my my daughter or wife and my wife noticed as soon as i changed it and she's been mocking me incessantly because before it was always like some artsy picture or something that's funny so now it's like it's like she's basically being like oh you actually do care yeah she was saying that i didn't care because it wasn't them but like i I feel like it's like a reasonably high quality photo i don't know oh oh yeah that is pretty cute the the last one with the faces next time you know. yeah. <laughs> they're in there they're just like looking off in the distance <laughs> my last my last one that it was like for about six months was with my nephew looking extremely cute so that was always like brightening me up my day nice we're in, I'm, I'm looking i'm like still looking for something that makes me smile so today we are talking about working with co-authors how to divvy up labor approaching senior faculty and other questions related to uh, co-authorship our special guest today is abehi ayoha she is a PhD candidate in economics at Vanderbilt University. She writes a column about the Nigerian economy for Steers Business. Abehi studies inter-firm networks and their impact on economic growth through firm productivity and international trade. And just as a reminder, she is on the job market this year. Woo! Abehi, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, all things taken into account. So I guess satirist harvest. Um, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and things are not you. constant, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. Economics. PhD candidate over here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much for having me, Alex and Sebastian. Uh, yeah, of course. Great to be here today. All right. So again, we like to start off by asking our guests to share a fun fact about themselves with our audience. So what is your uh, shareable fun fact? <laughs> well, um, it's great because it's actually coming up in November. So every November since, almost every November since 2009, I participated in National Novel Writing Month, where you challenge yourself to write a 50,000 word novel in 30 days. And some years, you know, I made it to 50 or past, and some years, you know, I stopped at 13K. Wait, uh, so, so like a, a so fiction cool. novel? Um, you could write anything, but yeah, I write fiction. That is amazing. What is your topic? 
Um, well, this year I'm not going to do it because I'm on the job market. <laughs> the last Fair. couple of years I've, I've done a fantasy set in... Where can we read the, your work? So, Where can we read your work? Uh, yeah, you'll read it when it's published one day in the future. So it's like secret. You, you have it in your computer files in, your com- in yes. the computer. No one has ever read it? <laughs> in my fiction vault. Wow. That is phenomenal. So do you like, have you heard of the book Who Fears Death? Yes, uh, Ned Okorafor. I really like that book. Okay, all right. I tried to listen to the audible of that book and I was like, I don't like this accent. It's so weird. And I realized it was like an English woman pretending to have a Nigerian accent oh. doing it. And I was like, oh, that's why it sounded, it sounded <laughs> yeah, very hard to listen to. It sounded weird. <laughs> okay. That's right. funny. Wow. That's a really, that's a really cool, cool fun fact. And since 2009, so you've been doing for like at least 10 or nine-ish times potentially. Yeah, yeah. I've done it nine times. I skipped wow. two years. First year of grad school. Is so there, you're ready. Are you just going to release like a whole thing? Or are you going to win like the Hugo Award eight years in a row or something? Like, <laughs> that would be great. But uh, <laughs> my aspirations are not just that high. I probably just want to spend some time editing it when I... Um, Mm. editing my work when I have Wait, to. I have to ask, has any of that process helped you at all in mm. like research writing and stuff or any anything about the academic world? So I guess my academic writing is slightly different, um, but I do think, at least based on what people who have read my paper say, <laughs> so I don't know if I'm the most objective judge, but... Um, <laughs> There's limited fantasy. me craft like a narrative in my paper. Mm. Uh, so mm. in a little bit. But also, I, I was thinking also maybe something about the discipline fact of like, I am going to write X number of words, you know, every day for like, that seems like a self structure that you're putting on yourself. So I don't know, that could be, could be like a good practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think everybody should try it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Alex, that's it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're committing we write, here. <laughs> we have to write a fantasy book. <laughs> it can it? be anything. It can be anything. I think it has to be a fantasy book. Oh, it has to be. Okay. Yeah, you can be anything. No. Um, yeah. All right. So before we dive, dive diverge into two other topics, uh, we want to hear about your research. You're in the job market, so I'm sure you have a fantastic pitch ready for us. So if you want us, go ahead and share it. Um, So my job market paper studies productivity spillovers over customer supplier relationships among publicly listed firms in the U.S. And this is from 1977 to 2016. So what I do is I estimate how much firms are affected by the efficiency of their trading partners. So in the course of this project, I noticed that there's an internal inconsistency in the way we as economists usually measure productivity spillovers because we don't observe efficiency directly and we measure it from a production function. But in the process, we often assume away the kind of interdependence in firms' decisions and outcomes that would happen if there were spillovers, right? So I propose a new way to jointly estimate productivity and spillovers at the same time and taking into account this interdependence in their decisions. So yeah, and I find that in this period from uh, 1977 to 2016, spillovers accounted cumulatively for about 20% growth at the firm level in productivity um, as compared to if there were no spillovers at all. Um, And it was a stronger benefit coming from having a more efficient supplier than having a more efficient customer. What's what's an example of of, uh, the spillover? That was my same question. Yeah, so so (laughs) the spillovers I try to measure are things like knowledge transfers. So basically something that doesn't show up in prices. So for example, um, 
Dell sharing information with their suppliers to you know improve their efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's sometimes uh, basically anything that doesn't show up in like the prices of materials or the prices of output, right? So the key channel I'm thinking of is um, knowledge transfers uh, primarily. So one of the big things we see, for example, is that uh, a bulk of the spillovers are happening from computing, right? The electronics mm. industry, mm. Um, from the information software um, industries. So, yeah. And is it beforehand is, was the thought of like, yes, this is contributing, but maybe we think it's like one or percent or 2%, but in reality it's 20 or was it like, oh, we think this is like 40 and 50 and now it's, we kind of have a number that is 20, like which direction did it go? So the interesting thing is that we usually, for the most part, we don't usually study like the direct impact of having like a more efficient, like supplier or buyer, right? We usually just proxy by different things. So we usually study like spillovers from R&D or spillovers Mm -hmm. from, you know, um, exporting or spillovers from other firm activities. But just, I, so basically my point is kind of that like all of these things are kind of proxies or trying to get at the Mm. idea that there's like just having a more efficient guy in your supply chain is important, right? So um, that's the main idea. Interesting. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, so we're going to move into the next segment today. Uh, you posed a question to us uh, that you wanted to talk with us about uh, for the listeners. Uh, what would you like to know more about? Um, so I'm really interested in basically how to, the nuts and bolts of co-authorship, right? So how do you go approach somebody and say, I want to work on a project together, especially if it's, you know, senior faculty. Um, how do you set those expectations in advance, divvy up labor, um, and then also, like, how do you deal with, like, different, like, schedules, timelines, and priorities as far as, like, the co-authored projects are concerned? Mm-hmm. Um, great. So I think that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of people who are going to have, you know, different perspectives. Um, just, just to set up some the context, are you currently in projects where you have co-authors? Like, how many projects do you have co-authors? How many projects do you have single? So most of my projects have been uh, single authored because okay. I'm super shy about like okay. people asking a co-author. But I have something I'm working on with my advisor, um, who's you know I I have I talk to him all the time, so it's like easier, right? Right. Um, versus right. you know somebody new. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And and would like you would say that you so far been a single author mostly out of out of like because you wanted to or like. I, I, you felt awkward asking people to be co-authors. <laughs> I think it's like 50-50. Okay. So it's like, well, obviously I have to focus on my job market people. Cause right. Jobs. Right. But then also sometimes, because there have been a couple of times where I was like, I really want to work on something with you. And I had an idea. And I'm like, how do I, how do I propose this? Um, yeah. That's so, fair. So I let me. I think I will start with the easy part and then we'll go into, I would say, the harder part. I think once you're a little bit more or feel a little more established or and and have different like networks and connections and you know people in your field, I, I found it now that is pretty straightforward to let's say me go to Alex and be like, Hey Alex, I have this idea and and I kinda um and at least in the applied micro world, maybe I kind of say kind of, you know, this is the regression, this is the identification, this is the data, this is the outcome, and this is a pitch of the contribution, right? 
Like and, a mini abstract. Like exactly, like a mini abstract. <laughs> Giving like the most uh, concise presentation in, through an email or, or in a phone call. And because I know Alex, I feel very comfortable. He said, tells me, do it. I am actually really packed. Um, I cannot do it. And I don't, you know, I'm like, okay, no worries. Like it was just kind of an idea. Um, or if he says, yes, that's awesome. Let's do it. Um, and so I think in the, in the most easiest way, I, I feel like now in a position where I feel comfortable asking people that are in my network or sometimes people that I don't know um, to be co-authors just because here's the idea. Usually though, I would say that there is a, re- a specific reason why I'm asking that a specific person. So it's not like I have a project and I just ask anyone. Um, so for example, I'll talk, I'll talk about a real example. I really wanted to extend one of my chapters from my dissertations to talk about the effects of losing health insurance on mental health. But I didn't want to do it on my own, mostly because I was just starting to work on mental health. So I wanted somebody who had worked on mental health a lot. And so um, I kind of met uh, Catherine McLean through different conferences. We didn't, you know, were, know each other very well. But uh, eventually um, I said to her, it's like, I'm really interested in this. I know you worked a lot on mental health. If you're interested, if you have the time. And at that point, she was like way senior. Well, she's still way senior, I guess, in some sense. But I am. But like, you know, I, I felt a little bit more more of the, the, the discrepancy in rank. Yeah, the perception um, is real, right? I don't mean to totally interrupt you, but like, no, no, yeah. I think probably from Catherine's an awesome person. So she was yeah. probably like, oh, Sebastian's smart. I'd love to work with him. But in your mind, she might have been like, oh, who is this person emailing yes, me, right? Even totally. though it's not, I, I don't want to speak for her thoughts, but I imagine that is not what she was no, thinking she's, when you reached out to her. No, absolutely. I was like, I think just like in my, in my job market year, I, I think. Um, and so it definitely felt a little bit weird, but, um, but she said, yeah, that's awesome. And, and she was so thoughtful. She's like, but right now you're in the market. So finish this, send me an email, like months from now, once you're like, you know, your, your, your prospect of life is clear. Um, and I did. And in the end we, we worked on it, but, um, but anyways, point being that, that every time I ask someone now, it's within a specific like thing that I have in mind of like, maybe they can contribute because of the data, because of their expertise and because X, Y, and Z. So I think that's the easiest part. Like whenever, when you reach your confidence levels that you're okay, just randomly asking people, hey, you want to be my, I was going to say my partner, you want to be my mother. (laughs) So I guess like the big thing is to get over the initial like mental barrier of like, I'm this little guy who's unproven and you're this like really big person and I don't like, you know, I don't think I'm as proven yet. Yeah. Also being comfortable, people might say no, right? So like I had an idea that I wanted to work on with somebody and I sent them an email recently and they were like, hey, I'm on the market. I can't do this. Like maybe in a couple months, sort of like Sebastian situation in reverse. Right. And that's fine, right? That's like I'm happy that they said that rather than committing and then us getting like, you know, two or three meetings in and then everything like falling apart or emails not being answered. Like mm-hmm. I've been that co-author before on projects because I there was a like huge period of time where I was just way overcommitted. And like I said yes to too many things and it wasn't prioritizing and it was like a really difficult thing to like in unintentionally have projects die. But it's much better, right, to have somebody say no ahead of time than have that happen, right? Yeah. And I think another thing to consider there, um, I mean, obviously, if there's like a rank issue, you're, you're going to feel like, uh, well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I imagine that you feel comfortable asking your peers at Vanderbilt 
for co-authoring a paper. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, yes, yes. Right. So I think whenever there is no like lesser rank differential, right, like me and assistant professor asking another assistant professor, well, sometimes I feel like some, some people are like, oh my gosh, I should not be talking to you, but I am, you know, but, but in general, I feel very comfortable and, and also with PhD students um, uh, to, to ask them. But what I was going to say too, I think it's important to, if you don't know that person, to maybe get a sense of how good of co-authors and how good of team players they are. Because I think sometimes um, they may not be for whatever reason and or for whatever period in the life they're going to. And, and I think getting some information, if you can, so it's how helpful. So how do you get that information though? Like, So I... I would say, I mean, I don't, I would say that one way is let's say that, you know, uh, that person is working with co-author X and Y and you strike up a conversation in, in a conference with them. And then maybe ask like, oh, how was your experience with this project? Kind of like, I think very broadly. And then they'll, they'll tell you, you know, how it, the experience it was. And, um, and I think sometimes they, if there, if there's a, a true red flag for whatever reason, maybe they'll let you know. Okay. That's useful, actually. I never even thought about like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all. It's also useful to think about like what, like. So you asked one of your, the parts of one of your questions was about divvying up work. Yeah. And so it's also useful to try to think about that beforehand. So like, not that these are the only two types of ways that people can be involved on projects, but like, broadly, when I tried to think about my co-authorship roles that have existed so far. I've been involved with two types of projects. One where I've like sort of like a specialized employee on the project. Like I'm there to do this thing. Mm -hmm. it, maybe, maybe it was clear from the onset. Maybe it wasn't, but like at the end of the day, I did this thing and a bunch of other people did their thing. And maybe there was like one person like sort of steering the ship. And then the other type is where you're like a small business owner where like any little random thing that could come up, whether it's just like submitting the paper or paying the fee or like responding to a revision like you never know what it's going to be but it's going to become your responsibility mm -hmm. um and like that could be a shared you could like run the small business with four other people like who knows who's going to do the random thing but like jointly it's your responsibility or it could just be like one person doing it but then in those situations don't you end up in this kind of like volunteers dilemma where like mm. there are things that are like kind of slipping through because it's not any particular person's job so it totally could be the case, right? That that occurs, or it could be the case where like, it's uh, like, like I haven't actually worked on a paper with Sebastian, but like if Sebastian and I were on it, maybe cause like we have this relationship where we work on the podcast, we'd each like sort of over volunteer to try to like help with those yeah. things. So it depends on the person you're working with a bit. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is uh, also broadly speaking about relationship with co-authors um, that I, I found that uh, a very casual, I would say, conversation about expectations, it's important. So I don't, I don't, I don't advocate for a very, you know, strong, like, let's sit down and talk about our expectations from each other, because I, for some reason, that feels a little bit unnatural. But for example, I just started um, recently a project with uh, Barton Willich and Dan Grossman, and and I said something along the lines of, you know, I would love to do the analysis part, the state part. Um, I'm not, you know, my strength is not necessarily writing, so I would need help with that. And so we kind of divvy up with like, they're currently right now focusing on writing. Somebody else is focusing on like the lit review part. I'm focusing on analysis. And at least for the first part of the game, that that's kind of like the agreement and how things are going as well. And maybe in the future we rearrange, but at least having some casual um, conversation about expectations 
it's actually going to be really important because if you want that other person, right, that um, senior person to do something specific, then it's, it's good to say that out loud. Um, sometimes, for example, I like, I mean, there's different relationships, right? But I can, I can imagine a PhD student who wants a senior person, not necessarily because that per, the senior, the student is thinking that the senior person is going to do a bunch of the work and analysis, but mostly they want their mentoring, right? And so in some sense, you're walking into a relationship being like, I kind of just want to like do the paper, but make sure that there's a person guiding me through a process and they can get co-authorship, right? And so those are different expectations. Yeah. And comparative advantage is like a really important concept here too. Like you might be worse, uh, not you specifically, but just like a grad (laughs) student or a new person might be worse at like every single thing compared to a senior person. I don't actually think that's the case, right? But that could be the case. And then it still might be that like your time is best spent doing the analysis and their time is best spent having conversations with you to get the framing and make sure you're like Mm -hmm. not getting lost in the weeds. That was the thing I struggled with a lot early on and still to some extent, or like, I want to run and perfect every table and every subspecification without thinking, well, how does this contribute to the broader paper? Why am I doing goal? this? Yeah. Like right. what, like, where is this going to go in the paper? Is it like in appendix page 52 yeah. or is it like some actually important thing that we're doing? Yeah. Um, but actually speaking of expectations, like I think one of the big um, questions for me is like timelines in terms of like priorities. Because, for example, as a junior um, economist, like you have, you know, this timelines inbuilt. So job market, um, tenure, right? right? And, and then the, you're working with people who don't have those pressures. So suppose someone's working on 15 different projects and, you know, yours is like super important to you. There's, but the project doesn't have the same weight in terms of your priority. So how do you deal with like communicating, you know, mm-hmm. need to get this project moving back? Uh, um, that, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think in most cases, when I have a, when I'm having that conversation about sharing a project, I think sometimes if I'm able to have it like on, you know, on the phone, I kind of ask like, hey, what's your stand of your, your current set of projects? Like, you know, uh, what are you, what are you working on? What are you doing? And then it helps me give me a sense of like, oh, this person right now, it's really busy. So I'm going to pitch them the idea still, but I'm going to tell them like, if you want, I'm going to pick up you know, the work now, but maybe six months from now, you can start and helping me out because I really value your expertise for whatever I'm, or I'm asking you to contribute. So I think, I, I do, I think, embed that in the expectations conversations, which is me essentially trying to understand what is their, like, what's in the, what's burning on their, on their stoves, right? And what they're cooking and what it can spend time on. For example, in this, in this project that I just talked about with Gordon and Dan, like, I, I think I assumed that they're both really busy with this other stuff and, and we're both all close to tenure. But Barton has been like super quick at doing a lot of work. And I told him, I was like, oh, I actually didn't expect you to be so like quick. Like I asked you to do something and he does and he just manages to do it. So like he impressed me on the other way. Um, you're, but you're right. I think, I think there the problem is, you know, that you can't control what other people tell you, right? And, and I think it's also maybe fine to say here that like you may have, a not great co-author experience. And that's okay. You'll learn through that process. Like, you know, um, sorry, Alex, you were going to say something. No, no. I think all of that is basically what I was going to say too, except I think like a, a name we wanted to name this podcast was learning by doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you mm-hmm. should like keep that in mind here. That <laughs> Like I, I've been a really bad co-author and I've also been a really good co-author even on the same project, right. At various different mm-hmm. points in time. Oh, that's good. And, yeah. and a thing that like, 
I, I look back on, I'm like, why was I bad on this paper? Why, why could I not contribute? And it's because I didn't have a good idea of like what projects were going to come up. Or sometimes I didn't have a good idea of what fires were going to arrive that like I maybe couldn't have predicted. Um, so keeping that in mind too, that when you have these conversations with people, like things change, they might have a poor idea of what's on their plate, even at the time, or maybe some emergency occurs or like mm-hmm. they have a kid or a parent yeah. dies or something. Um, so, so stuff is dynamic, but I still think it's valuable to have those conversations mm-hmm. at the beginning. And that is something I did not do early on. I didn't mm-hmm. even like think about, well, what are the set of projects I'm working on? How might, like my expectations is like, we'll do this. It'll be fun. It'll be a journey. Yay. <laughs> like, you know, we right. obstacles hit. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, the other thing that was on my mind is, um, I think the more, the, uh, the potentially more difficult question or situation that happens is when you're a PhD student and you want to work with one of the professors in your department, right? Or maybe a senior person, because then you don't have that much confidence. And so I wanted to address that because I, again, I don't think I have a really good example of answers, but I think the obvious things is like, first, make sure you have, um, you've done your homework when you're going to come to that person. And that really means is, 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 is proposing a very feasible project. So one thing that I actually seen um, is people proposing, like, I have this like very not well thought out idea and some people react to that in a very exciting way. Be like, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. And then that senior person immediately connects it to a reg YX or a model, right? Um, but Reg-YX other people are robust. Yeah, okay, it's robust. <laughs> but other people are going to react to that. I'm like, come back to me whenever you have data, a research question, you know, like something more thought out. So I, I'm risk averse. So I usually, when I've done those pitches, which they never actually worked from when I was a student, um, it was uh, it was a little bit of a more well thought out uh, proposal, almost being like, "This is what I'm thinking about doing," but uh, but and again, and I really would like to you know have you because you have this expertise or whatever reason that I want. And um, something that I've found recently is that there are certain people that I work really well. Actually, let me put it this way: I like to work with. I was about to say I work really well with, but I, just, <laughs> but you don't I know. enjoy having them as co-authors. I don't know if they would say the same thing. Ivan is here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but there's like, there's basically like three or four people that I really like to work with and we communicate well. Uh, I'm comfortable. Like we have each other's cell phone numbers. We always have this sort of right. low key conversation going on about the paper and about other things. And it, it always kind of keeps my mind on the ball. And when I'm working with people where we like parachute into like a one hour Zoom meeting like once a month, it's I I don't find that I don't enjoy that experience as month as much. But I know a lot of people write papers that way. A lot so of people like, do enjoy that. So like, do you guys um, usually just do things over email? Do you have like mm-hmm. Slack channels? Because um, I know like people do different things. I don't know what you recommend. We have Depending a podcast. On, like, the, yeah, the pod, we just podcast about everything. <laughs> um, no, depending on the group, it's different. Um, yeah. But for me, what I happen to enjoy the most is when I'm, there's like maybe a GitHub issue that we always use as sort of like a chat, like the, like not, not an email basically, or we're texting each other. Um, and mm-hmm. I like the texting quite a bit. I use Mac. So on my iPhone and on my computer, the texts are sort of always available and always searchable. Uh, and- Wait, but how do you write LaTeX in like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I misunderstood your question. I thought you meant no, like just communicating no, no. with one I know. another. Like how, how do you write like, oh, who's going to estimate beta? Uh, in- <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, we, uh, we, we don't, 
I think micromanage at that level yeah. um, <laughs> within there. But, you know, it's just stuff like, oh, I saw this paper or this idea right. or this other thing that connected to here. Um, I, I don't know. I find that an enjoyable experience. I think other people would find that horrifying. Right. To always yeah. Be texting. I think I don't have a standard way of working with my co-authors in that way to answer your question, Abehi. So um, my comparative advantage is that like if I had a, if I were a mutant, like my power is adaption, right? Like I'm really good at like adapting to other people's constraints and maybe that's a terrible thing. But um, so for example, one co-author, uh, she truly worked on email. Like we essentially did not have calls. It was just like an, an email response back and forth. And the emails, and I was in the very not used to that. And the emails were really long. They were kind of like mini papers. And and in some sense, sometimes I had to respond and there were also very long emails and I, you know, attach a PDF, you know, with a point of point response. And I initially did not, I was not a, too much of a fan because I would spend, I felt like I was not doing work because I was just taking a couple of hours to respond to this email even more sometimes. But in the end, it was actually really helpful because it was, everything was like, like uh, written, right? We had a record of everything that we've done so far. And actually, and it was a lot more clear because sometimes in some of those points, what I've noticed is, let's say I'm arguing about, I don't know, a parameter or interpretation. When I'm in a call, maybe I can get more easily persuaded because I don't have my arguments well thought out. But in an email, I can spend some time Think about it, even side literature, work it out. and write it out. Yeah. So, and I, and I and I work really well when I like sit and think rather than like I'm not a quick thinker. So that helped me a lot. I, I like that quite a bit because I think that buttresses well with the piece of advice that's like if you're not writing, you're not thinking. And mm. I, I really think like if you can write out your argument, like I find when I'm responding, often like when I read a referee report that I receive on my paper, I'm like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, and then I go to like respond to them, and I'm like. Oh, no, they yeah, do. Right, exactly. Like I have to structure my argument this way. And and I think maybe that's what I like about the text too. It's a little faster, but I have to like write it. I have to like think about it. Um, in, in any event, it's I think it's the text yeah. itself that I like more. Like if it's email or not, it it doesn't matter. Yeah. I just hate receiving emails for some reason. <laughs> so so I think like email is one way, but we also use this thing called Notion, which is like a note-taking app that we like dump things in. Or, you know, Dropbox and the, like, the updates. You know, I've used all of it. I don't, I don't, I haven't found, like, a system that it's, like, you know, works fantastically for each one of the persons that I'm communicating. I mean, the most common one is the, the Skype call, right? Like, let's all jump into a call. What do we have to do? These are the next two items. And are we, either we have a meeting next week or we have a meeting in two months or one month, right? Like, we usually said, like, when is the next meeting? So everyone has, a, and everyone has, like, okay, what's it? Everyone wants to do. You can, you have to do this and you have to do that. Okay, great, great. And I find those like Skype meetings and Zoom meetings to often be useless unless you're taking notes. Like, so if you take notes and you send them out with exactly like what you're doing, like people will forget or think, I don't know. People are busy and they're on lots of projects. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Last question as far as this goes. Um, How do you avoid being the bad co-author? So like, so (laughs) so it's one thing when you go to someone with a pitch, right? So what if someone comes to you with a pitch you're super excited, you want to get started, and then you realize that like you're overcommitted. Mm. So how do you, you know, navigate that? I've never been the bad co-author, so I can't tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, do you want to do you want to take this one while I think? Yeah, about yeah. It? So I 
I can, I, I don't know if I can tell you how to avoid being the bad co-author. I could tell you how to be the bad co-author. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> we right. could think of ways to fix it. So like an, an issue that I come up with all the time is that future me has more time than current me. Yeah. I like somehow place less value on my future time, or maybe I don't have good expectations about commitments and things that will arise in the future. Um, so I'm always like, I actually, and I legitimately think this, like, I'll, I'll be able to work on that next week for like two or three hours. I'll be fine. Um, so I think a thing that has helped me recently is number one, having fewer commitments. And that's just mm -hmm. like all in all, if I can only focus on two things at a time, I, I can do a good job. If I'm on seven or eight things, it's riskier, right? I, I don't know what's going to come up. And then number two is having a good idea of where, what my priorities yeah. are uh, across my different commitments. So I like, I feel really bad about this one project, but I've been really open with one of my students. We've had like a project that's basically kept getting pushed back and pushed back. But I told him from the get-go on this, like I have to do A, B, and C before we do our project. Mm -hmm. I think it will take one year. It has now been two years. But every wow. time we have a conversation, I could. Just I like, think I know which project is this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's the prep project with Sean. Yeah, I just yeah. feel really bad. But I'm like, I, I've like it has. I have to do these two or three things first. Right. And he and I have had this conversation many different times where I'm like, hey, I told you I have to do these things, and I don't know. It yeah. stinks, and I feel like a bad co-author in that sense on this particular project. But I've been very upfront, so I don't. I don't like have guilt at the end of the night. Whereas. If you're like constantly saying you're going to do something and not doing it, you'd feel really guilty, I think. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, I think the issue about acknowledging that you're not I, that you're not meeting the deadlines, which is, I guess, how I'm defining being a bad co-author, right? You're not meeting the deadlines that you're, that you're given to. Then I think I just have to have a conversation with myself of like, okay, is it because I've overcommitted? Is it because I need to prioritize these other things or because I had a shock to the system, right? And, and once I understand the causes of that, then I can, you know, come back to my co-author and be like, uh, I can, you know, it's basically two, two things, right? I can be like, look, I've had all these things, but I can get back on track. I'll get, I'll give you, you know, what you need to keep moving the project by X date. Or if it's something that is going to take a while, like a year, you know, I definitely said to people, I'm like, I have, you know, two R&Rs that I'm focusing on this right now. I don't think I can give you anything until like four months or six months from now. Um, uh, and I say that and, and, and then I think I, the other way or another thing that I say with that is what is the thing that you really need me to do now in order to, for you to move the project? Um, because I, I think also in some ways, I, like I, I always like, I always think that, you know, if there's a project, there's like at least one person that really is trying to finish a project. And sometimes the co-authors are the obstacle. And so if I know that I'm on the obstacle, I'm going to be like, what is the true thing that you really need me to do? And uh, in, in that is small, right? <laughs> that I can finish like really quickly and then pass the ball to you. And then you take the project and, and run with it. And, and if that happens several times, then I might even tell that person, like, regardless if your last name starts with a Z, right? You're, we're going to, I'm going to signal a way to make that you did a lot of the contribution and I didn't because I, 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 I was at fault at that point. Oh yeah, so are you guys like random name like? I started you... this this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I. That's probably a good idea to do. It's it's what's really difficult. Is like, I'm a T, so I have to. <laughs> you, you have to. I'm yeah. I'm at all. People come to me like, "Hey, are you at all?" And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> "I'm at all." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a good move in the future. But then again, there's also information like what's weird is Sebastian and I both publish in like 
uh, non-economics places and they're like order matters quite a bit. Um, and I've only ever really had conversations about ordering of papers when we think it's a high probability of going to one of those journals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm an I and I'm just going to target people whose names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Then, then you'll be good. <laughs> then you're good. <laughs> the alphabet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wait, let me ask you one question from from the PhD student perspective. What's like the um, aside from maybe that confidence part? Is there something else that you know you think stops you from going to that senior person and yeah. asking to contribute in that project? Oh, and by the way, I lied earlier as a response to your earlier question. I actually have another one, but I just haven't worked on it in so long. Oh, you're the bad co-author. <laughs> 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 maybe yes. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's that's with Ben, Ben Munyan. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. side, side note. Um, so I think the other fear, I guess, is about being like uh, pretty much like an RA, um, because I think there's the fear of like, okay, so you're working with this senior person and who is potentially more time constrained than you are, and you're the one with the pitch, and you're the one that like needs this, right? So you're afraid that like you might end up doing almost all the work. Um, mm-hmm. But then since you approach them, it's hard, like it feels like because of like the, you know, rank distance, it's harder to be like, if they're not pulling their weight, like what do you do? You know, how mm-hmm. do you, uh, yeah. you get? That's a legitimate concern, but I just yeah. want to stress that's, you should be concerned about that even if there is no rank difference, if there's just a priority difference, mm. right? Like you might have another person who's totally into it. They're at your exact same level, but like for some reason they have another project they're prioritizing and you still end up doing the majority of the work, right? Like it's, it's possible that that could occur in any relationship. Um, maybe yeah. people externally might view it as more like, like, Oh, you did a paper with blah, 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 fancy person. Like maybe they were just an RA and they wouldn't view that with the, sort of equal level person, so to speak. Um, but just be aware that that could happen in any case. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's tough. And I, I would say that, I mean, as a student, you want to think if you're okay with that position, because part of me thinks that, okay, I'm here to learn. This is one of the first few papers that I'm going to write because I'm going to learn of that process of how this person is writes papers and does research. But if you, if you don't feel like you want that relationship, right. Then that's where, Maybe, I don't know, maybe you could be saying like, you know, when I work on this project, but this is my time, I, I want to make sure that, um, that we're both going to work on it, but I don't know if you have the time. So, you know, just being transparent and honest. Um, and then if they say, yeah, I do have the time, or maybe no, I have the time, like, you know, go away. Um, you can offer a different contract, but I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard. Like I don't, I never done that in grad school. So I feel like, Maybe that's not great. Yeah. I, I also want to stress, like we've been using, we used a couple of times this phrase, just an RA versus doing more of the work. Those are not equivalent things. Right. I think like an RA is a person who might go to a advisor and be like, what is my list of tasks? Thank you. Almost like that's a true. That's fancy true. computer program or something. Right. Whereas like a co-author who does more of the work than someone else, like you could still have like genuine contributions from the other person and like back and forth, but like you might do most of the coding or most of the writing. Those are different experiences. I find yeah. that even when I'm doing a lot of the work, if I have an intellectual partner and feel like I'm a partner, it's fulfilling. Whereas so if true. I'm like a computer program, I, I would not like that. Yeah. 
That's very true. Cause, and so I've, I been at, I've been an actual RA and a, and a co-author that did most of the analysis work. And you're so right. They're very different experiences. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like the big thing here is like transparent and honest communication with like yourself and also <laughs> with like your co-authors, right? Yes. That, yeah, that, that might be like, we now no longer need a podcast, right? Like, that's good advice <laughs> like almost every situation. It's, it, I mean, but this is, this is the thing about like, quote unquote, cliches, right? Like people say cliches, but they're not really as well as internalized unless you go into like, you know, more of the thinking of like, why is this the right strategy and what happens if it doesn't work and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a relationship. So you got to be transparent and honest at the end of the day. Right. As, as we are as teachers and students. Right. And as we are as researchers and, and as human beings. That's a nice, it's a nice, like wholesome. Yeah. Sebastian <laughs> just made a heart with his hand. <laughs> That's right. Totally adorable. Um, Great. Well, that's a that's a great place to pause. Um, thank you, Behi, for for bringing up that question. And I'm sure our listeners, if you guys are listening, um, you know, comment on the tweet. I guess that I'll put on this podcast on what are your tips or questions on this. Um, Behi, every week we like to ask our guests to give us our recommendation of the week. This could be anything—a book, quote, a command, a song, a concept, anything that can improve our listeners' lives. What is your recommendation for the week? Um, can I be an overachiever and recommend two things? Yeah, yes. totally. So yeah, so if you do data analysis in Python, you should check out um, Pandas Profiler. I discovered it like a couple of weeks ago and like it lets you do your exploratory data analysis with one line of code and like just basically seeing what's in your data and like what variables are there, what's missing, data structure, everything. Um, Correlations, it's great. Um, And then since we talked about fiction at the beginning of the podcast, um, I... uh, an author, I, one of my favorite authors, Jennifer Makumbi, um, has a new book out, A Girl is a Body of Water, um, and I'm reading it. It's set in Uganda, and it's fantastic. It's oh. just the world, like, the setting, everything is just great. What is the story about in short, in, in a short version? Oh, so it's um, basically a young girl um, who doesn't know much about her um, own family history and is basically trying to um, discover her family history and, like, oh. delve into her. Awesome. Awesome. We'll we'll put a link into those two things in our show notes. Alex, what is your recommendation of the week? All right. So I recently was told by my university uh, IT that uh, FileZilla, the new version of it, had malware. And FileZilla is a way of like moving files on and off of external servers. Okay. So I was in the hunt for an alternative and they recommended CyberDuck which is, first of all, hilarious back, sounding back. program name. Yeah, and the little icon is this adorable duck, so wonderful. <laughs> but it's so awesome. It's so much better than FileZilla was. So if you are a researcher and you've got files and folders and things on like some external server and uh, you are, are moving them maybe on and off uh, of your own uh, computer, CyberDuck is great. It allows you to synchronize files. You can refresh. Uh, maybe that was a feature in FileZilla, but I didn't know about it. Uh, and it, it's... It's really nice. I enjoy working with it quite a bit. And if you have a Mac, maybe this is only available on Mac. Uh, it also has Quick Look, which is really cool. Awesome. That's great. Um, my recommendation of the week is to check out this free ebook, um, which is called, I believe it's called Publishing in the Economics Profession. So it's a collection of essays um, edited by Sebastian Galliani and... Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot who the other editor is, but I am going to add it in the show notes for sure and maybe edit this podcast later to add the other person's um, name. 
And they essentially cover a bunch of different topics, even topics of, of race in the economic profession. But it's all about um, statistics on, on, on publishing and arguments and essays on that topic. Um, and it, essentially, the book makes an argument that there is, you know, we've had a lot of improvements, but there's still a lot to improve. Um, and I think uh, it's really interesting. I haven't finished reading, but it, it proves to be interesting from the beginning. So check that out. It'll be on the show notes. Pizza. Oh, what's the name? Panitza. Panitza. Thank you, Alex. Awesome. Great. But hey, if people want to find more information about your work, where should they go? Um, you can go to my website, ebehi with two eyes, dot github.io. Or find awesome. me on Twitter. Okay, Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle? Ebehi underscore Ioha. All right. Awesome. For hot takes, right? <laughs> <laughs> All my hot takes. All hot takes. Um, <laughs> awesome. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. And thank you for tuning in for this first inaugural season of The Hidden Curriculum. We've had lots of fun. And we really appreciate the feedback and support received from our listeners and our monthly supporters, which we'll put in the show notes. Don't you worry. We will be back for a second season starting late January. We're getting ready a really cool season for you. But for now, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and see you next season. Bye.